0: And if I've never met you before, I'd love to meet you today. And also, now would be the time for the kids to be dismissed to Children's Church. So if you haven't done that, that's Terry's one mistake for the year. And so he, he ran out. So sorry, Terry. That was today. Um, I want to say a couple quick things about the men's retreat, which is coming up this weekend. So Friday the 27th and the 28th. Um, If you have any questions at all, come find me, or email me, or call me, or send smoke signals, Um, but please come find me about that. But a couple things, just just by way of summary, number one, if you are spending the night, you need to bring bedding and linens and all of that, that's not provided. Um, uh, If you would like to help with at least one of the meals, either in preparing or helping to clean up afterwards, and I I think it's good if everyone does that at least once. Um, It's a good time to actually get to know the other guys there. Uh, But see Bo after the service if you're willing to help out with one of those, or all of them. If that's your thing, uh, please do that. Um, And then the other thing is is there was a question of which building are we in specifically. And so let me describe this with with absolute detail. Um, Eh, sort of absolute detail. So we're gonna be in the bachelor's officer's quarters, which by the way, you're welcome because it's an upgrade from last year. Um, but it is behind the pool. Okay, so there's, there's the office and the pool, and there's that driveway, and you just go back there, and it's the big building up on the hill there. And, um, and we'll have a sign out. You know, we'll be really classy and take our carnival sign that we had for Loganberry and just cover it with men's retreat, just with little pieces of paper, because um, we're classy like that men. And... Um, and also, if you'd like to be a greeter and sort of have a flashlight and like wave people in, that's another job too. So uh, come see me if you really love the idea of standing out on the street, waving at people with flashlights. Um, so, I don't know, maybe that's your spiritual gift. I don't know, maybe, maybe. Yeah, Bo. Yeah, the parking is behind the building. So there's plenty of parking. Um, so if you want to bring a car and then have someone drive you back to your house and drive another car there, uh, plenty of parking. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Yeah, if you have any questions about that, let me know. And, um, and you can pay at any time up till the day of. And if you have questions about that, uh, just let me know. So, good. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. In some ways, this is the last part of the story of Stephen, uh, because we're connected into this here. But it's what happens after Stephen has died. And and today we're going to get a second introduction, a little bit of a longer introduction, to Saul, the man who becomes the Apostle Paul. And as you can tell by the title I put in the bulletin, it's a little bit meant to shock you, but that the early church consisted of converted terrorists. Because in a sense, when you really look at the story of Saul, and you don't know the ending that he becomes the Apostle Paul, writer of many New Testament books, missionary, bringing the gospel for the first time to many places, if you didn't know that part and you read what we have today, you would understand that he was a religious terrorist. That because of his religious conviction, he had people thrown in jail, which, let's just remember, back then, jails were not as nice as they are today. I'm helped by a sermon I heard by a man named Sabidi Anyabwile. You can get the spelling from me later on that one. But it said, will your gospel transform a terrorist? And he says this, do you have confidence that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough to transform the person who seems to you the farthest away with the hardest heart towards the Lord? Do we underestimate the gospel's ability to change what we think are the worst or sinners the hardest hearts. And today I want to show you that the Apostle Paul seemed to be unconvertible, seemed to be someone who was the farthest away from the gospel, that was literally an enemy of the church leading persecution of believers, even dragging them from their homes and throwing them in jail. That before repenting of his sins and believing in Jesus, the Apostle Paul probably really was the chief of sinners because he dedicated his life to opposing Jesus Christ. But this man, this religious terrorist was converted and transformed and became one of the greatest missionaries of the early church. And so we want to look at Saul's story today so that we never underestimate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is no one who has gone too far to be saved by the cross of Christ. And that our understanding of who we think will believe in Jesus and who won't, that God by his Spirit will shatter that and will bring even the hardest enemies against him to faith through the power of the gospel. That we can believe the Apostle Paul who later wrote in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And you don't think in the back of the mind that he was thinking even to me. A person who dedicated his life to stopping the church. So our big idea this morning, you'll find in your bulletin there, is we can share the gospel with confidence because there is no one too lost for God to save. Now, as I said, this, these three verses here are responses to the death of Stephen. Again, last week we saw that Stephen was killed for his faith. And here we see the aftermath of that murder. So let's first look at the church is scattered in verse 1. Follow along as I read. We're on page 916 if you're using one of the chair Bibles in front of you. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So after Stephen has died, first we learn that Saul approved of the death. Okay, again, this is not painting a very Christianly picture of this man. He was pleased that Stephen was killed. He thought it was the right thing. That this model of discipleship that we saw over the last couple of weeks, this person who modeled what it means to really follow Jesus, that his death pleased Saul. Again, this underscores how lost he really was. And, And on that day, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. That the response to this death was so harsh against the Christians that it got so bad that many of them moved. Again, sometimes we can just skip over and, and just go quickly over the fact that they were scattered. Okay, imagine your life is so bad you have to move to another state. Again, maybe because it's familiar, it's easy to domesticate this story. But it was so harsh, the living conditions of these Christians, that they literally had to move their families. You and I, I don't think, can really understand that completely. But we need to understand how harsh this persecution was. Because first of all, we're going to see what they did over the next couple of weeks when they scattered. So they, their belief in the gospel caused people to treat them so badly that they had to leave and move away, but yet next week we're going to see in verse 4 of chapter 8 that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Again, can you imagine or try to imagine that because of your belief in Jesus, your neighbors and your community and your city made it so bad for you that you felt you had to leave with your family. But yet, as you leave, you still continue to preach Jesus. It puts into perspective what we experience here in the States, doesn't it? That we may be mocked, that we may, may be made fun of, that we may be parodied in the media in very unflattering ways. But even in the midst of this harsh persecution, they continued to preach. How much more should we, who do not experience this level of persecution, continue to preach the good news of Jesus? but I also want you to see God's purpose in this scattering. Look where they get scattered to. They get scattered to the regions of Judea and Samaria. You might ask yourself, why is that important? Well, you flip over to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you read this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, doing that. And then secondly, in all Judea and Samaria. That God is using this persecution to spread the gospel to where it has not been heard that God is so great that he can even take something evil like the persecution of his people and use it to spread the gospel. Because amazingly, that's what happens, is when you kick the Christians out of Jerusalem, they just go and convert the people not living in Jerusalem. That's next week. We'll get there. So the, the, these, these authorities, these, these people who are so against Jesus... Think they win, but all they do is further the cause. <laughs> and you think you can stop the power of God when you make people move is one of the most foolish decisions anyone has ever made. <laughs> because the gospel does not change when you change countries. And so these people who want to stop the gospel just spread it further around. (laughs) God cannot and will not be stopped by anyone. And he will see all people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. He will have them hear the gospel. And there will be believers from every, every people group because the gospel cannot be stopped and it will go to the ends of the earth. The other thing that I want us to see with this scattering is I think this helps us understand that sometimes God scatters his people for their good. Sometimes God uses hardship and persecution in our lives to scatter us among our culture. I think one thing that we as believers, especially as privileged as we are, is that there is a danger that we isolate ourselves from our culture. And sometimes God saves us from ourselves by scattering us into the culture. there there are so many there's so many forces that 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 want us to stay isolated and we have to be thinking about the decisions we make so that we don't isolate ourselves from unbelievers i think one of the biggest holes in our evangelism is that many of us don't have good relationships with unbelievers now, part of that is our culture. And I think especially you see this on the island, that, that there can be an isolating culture, that you drive in to your driveway, you go into your house. You know, it's not like the South where everybody's hanging out on their porch. <laughs> you can yell across the street at people. You know, too many security hedges. <laughs> on the island, you can't yell over to your neighbor. Um, but But... Isn't part of our problem we've isolated ourselves from unbelievers? Man, man, for those of you, maybe you don't live by the people you work with. You know, I think you see this trend in a lot of businesses where they draw from a lot of communities into one building. So if you have chosen that, then, then you need to be thinking proactively about how to replace that natural relationship. We need to be gospelly thinking. We need to be gospelly strategic. And if we lose that natural relationship of working with our neighbor, then we need to find other ways to connect with our neighbors. Those of us who who homeschool or who use Christian schools, we don't have that natural relationship relationship with other unbelievers because that we would have in the public schools. And so if we choose that, and again, I'm thankful that we have all types of education here at this church. There's no right one. Nobody here that I'm saying anything that I'm not. (laughs) But, But if we choose that, then we need to be proactive in building relationships to replace those natural relationships. And sometimes God will scatter us to keep us from being in a holy huddle. My friend, my friend Al, I worked at camp with him, older guy than me. He had a little phrase the Christians are like manure. If you spread us out, we do good, we help things grow but if you pile us up in one little place, we stink a little bit. (laughs) We need to be out in our community. We cannot live isolated lives. We need to be building relationships with unbelievers, and we need to be doing it proactively. You know, one of the struggles that we have as a leadership is is doing enough here at church without doing too much. There's a phrase I heard once that, that sometimes we're so busy doing church that we're too busy to be the church. And that's a struggle. But it's something we always need to be thinking of to balance what we do as the church but also so that we don't neglect our call to be out in the community. God scatters his people so that the gospel can be spread to new places. And how is God calling you to reach the specific community, the specific neighborhood, the specific work where you are? Because again, as the early church showed us, as they were scattered, they were preaching the word. Secondly, I want us to see that Stephen is mourned. Verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Part of the reason I believe this verse is here is to connect what is being done with persecution to the death of Stephen, that this event sparked the persecution that we see that it was Stephen's sermon that sparked this persecution. And again, showing that it's not about the people, it's about their message. It's about proclaiming the message of Jesus, and there are those who want nothing to do with Jesus and who will persecute those. I think there's something also to be said for honoring those who have sacrificed or experienced hardship because of being believers in Jesus. And that we weep with those who weep because of persecution. That we, in our different ways, come alongside those who are experiencing persecution for their faith. I think we've seen this in, in current events of recently. Do you mourn? for the 21 Christians who were killed in Libya who were Egyptian Christians? Do we pray for their families? Do we seek to raise up missionaries to go to those hard places where persecution exists? Are we willing to go where persecution exists to to build up the believers there. Thirdly, I want us to see that Saul persecutes the church. That he is leading an assault on the church of Jesus Christ. That he has made it his mission in life to destroy the church of God. Look at verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. The word uh, ravaging there can also be translated began to destroy this destructive behavior. Again, we cannot domesticate what he is doing. He is literally kicking down doors and throwing people in jail. It's out of a movie. And again... For us, it's hard to imagine. We live in such safety and have such freedom. And again, part of this, this story helps us to be so grateful for what we do have. That we have so much freedom. That we have so much privilege even as believers in Jesus. Jesus. But this is not a peaceful persecution. This is not the awkwardness that I get when I'm in the grocery store and people ask what I do for a living. And I say, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) It's like every other day. (laughs) And we need to recognize that. That a lot of the persecution we we have is sometimes just awkwardness. We need to push through that. And it's, it's annoying. I mean, really, you should see the look that people give me. I'm like, oh, do I have that third eye growing out of my forehead again? You know? But we need to push through that. And we can't let a little awkwardness keep us from preaching the gospel. Because it is the only way for sinners to be reconciled to God. So here we have Saul. Again, we know the end of the story, we know he is transformed by the gospel. He didn't start out as a good guy. It wasn't that the gospel made him better. It that the gospel completely transformed his life. And I don't think he forgot it even after he was converted. There are multiple times in Paul's letters where he references the persecution of, that he did to the church. I've listed all of them in the discussion questions, but let me, let me read one in particular from Galatians chapter 1. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. He said, I was a violent man. I violently opposed believers. And that he did so because of his faith. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. He wasn't just driven by he thought it'd be a good idea or he thought it'd be fun, but he was driven from his very core beliefs to do this. That everything about him was anti-Jesus. It reminds us of John 16, verse 2, where Jesus says this, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. That's a description of the guy who becomes the Apostle Paul. He thought he was worshiping God by persecuting the church. Now, again, if we had a lineup of people, we thought, okay, that guy might listen, that guy might listen, well, that guy probably won't. We're not going to put Saul in the, oh, he's a seeker of truth. In fact, if we knew him, and you see this a little bit later in Acts, is people are still a little afraid of him and think he's a double agent trying to infiltrate the church. But this guy, this violent persecutor of the church, is saved by the gospel of Jesus and becomes one of the biggest messengers and spokesmen of the gospel that the world has ever seen. You don't get much more night and day than the Apostle Paul. (laughs) Trying to destroy the church, trying to spread the church to where it has never been before. And it's not because Saul was such a good guy, it's because the gospel changes us and makes us new creations who take us from being dead to making us alive. And so the gospel can save a religious terrorist. The gospel can transform a terrorist into a missionary. That the gospel, the gospel is so powerful that it can overcome any sin, any amount of sin, any life of disobedience that you've led. And you can find forgiveness of all your sins. And you can find eternal life with the God against whom you were rebelling with every ounce of your being. We are too often tempted to think that some people are too hard-hearted for the gospel. And we show our foolishness in thinking that the arm of God is too weak to save sinners. Thinking back to these 21 murdered Christians, so not only do we mourn the loss of the life of those believers, but I think we're called to pray for the men who killed those 21 men. that God would save them from their wickedness because we know God can. Even those people who committed that atrocious murder can be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that changes how we view our, quote, enemies. and it gives us a heart to reach the terrorists with the gospel. It gives us a heart not to be scared of the people groups out of which those terrorists come, but we share the gospel with people who may hate us. And it gives us confidence that it's not us who is changing hearts, but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes hearts. That you might even think of your family member who wants nothing to do with Jesus. The gospel is strong enough to save them. The risen Jesus is strong enough and is mighty enough to save even the worst of sinners. if God can save Saul, he can save anyone. If he can take a terrorist and make them into a missionary, there is no one out of his reach. Let me give you two main conclusions as, as we close this morning. The first... This is something I've already said so far, but I'll say it again, that we praise God that no one is out of reach of his mighty hand. There's no one who is unsavable. And, and we don't know who will respond to the gospel. That, that we look in our world and we see the Muslim terrorist. God can save them. We see the... New brand of atheism called anti-theism where their, their job is they feel called to oppose any forms of theism God can save them but the people that just for lack of a better term the notorious sinners that we know <laughs> that no one can out-sin the grace of God But I think we also see this in more common ways in our everyday life. As a person, we just, don't, we, just, we just don't think God will save them. made me think of the time I was in second grade. And my mom was told by my Awana leaders that they honestly really didn't look forward to me being there. <laughs> And I don't remember the exact words, because I was in second grade. Maybe I was a little rambunctious, perhaps. But it was so bad that my mom actually scheduled a meeting with my second grade teacher. (laughs) And she said to my second grade teacher, is he really that bad? (laughs) Thankfully, my second grade teacher said yes. No. Uh, (laughs) But if you would have asked them, these Iwana leaders, good hearts. I'm sure I was a handful. If you would ask them, hey, what do you think Jim's going to do when he grows up? (laughs) I doubt pastor would have been at the top of the list. (laughs) And part of what I want to say to you is you don't know, I don't know who will respond to the gospel. And so we share generously Knowing that some will, and it's probably not the person we think it is. So don't try to be gospelly profiling people to see if they're good candidates. Share the gospel, and God will change their hearts, just like He changed Saul's heart. Secondly, I want to point out that we're not so different from Saul. I've been painting a picture of Saul as a really, really bad guy. He definitely was. But it would be a mistake to think ourselves better than him. In Romans chapter 5, Paul writes this. I'm going to read excerpts from a couple verses there at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That before we placed our faith in Jesus, that was us. We were the ungodly. He further says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That before finding forgiveness in Jesus, we were sinners in danger of eternal damnation. And then in verse 10 of Romans 5, he says this, that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Just as Saul was an enemy of the church, and he really was, before placing our trust in Jesus Christ, we were engaged in cosmic rebellion against the king of the universe. And before we think ourselves better than Saul, we are reminded that just like him, we are recipients of abounding grace. That we did not earn our salvation by any stretch of the means. But just as Saul needed forgiveness and the grace of God and the mercy of God, so too we need the grace, mercy and forgiveness of God. And we cannot, it, it's too easy to take our salvation for granted when we forget what we were saved from. And just as Saul was saved from his sins, so too are we. We are sinners saved by grace through faith. And so, we can understand our, pers- our lives personally. That when we believe in Jesus, we can find forgiveness, just as Saul did. That God can transform our lives just as he did to Saul. Not according to what we did, but what Jesus did in dying and rising again. Let me close with the second excerpt from Galatians chapter 1. This is Paul talking about after his conversion. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he tried once to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. We praise God that he does save sinners. That he saved Saul and transformed him into a missionary. That he saved you and I to be his children and his messengers in our communities today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this story from your word that we would today understand the power of the gospel to save even the worst of sinners and that we would not forget that we once were sinners before finding forgiveness in Jesus Christ, that we were once enemies of God, that we would never underestimate the power of your grace and our need of it. God, help us to be messengers of your grace. Help us to humbly remember the grace that was shown to us and that we would have confidence in the power of the gospel to save sinners of those who place their trust in Jesus Christ. pray this in his name. Amen.